0: We're going to go ahead and get started if you guys uh, would like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We'll be 1 Timothy chapter 2. And just as last week we were discussing uh, the roles of men in the gathered congregation this week. Uh, We are turning our attention, at least in part, to the first couple of instructions for women in the gathered assembly. Uh, We'll just be going through verse 9 and 10 this week. Um, 1 Timothy 2, I'll begin reading uh, starting in verse 8, but we will be just focusing on verse 9 and 10 in our uh, discussion. So, I desire then that in all places the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dispute. Similarly, the women should also adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly dress, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So this week, uh, we are just gonna be focusing on those first couple of verses. Uh, You'll notice that the discourse and instruction actually goes through verse 15. But given uh, all of the implications from verse 12 to 15, I think it's fitting that we spend a number of weeks just going through uh, those verses in turn, uh, taking probably several angles to look at how can you interpret these verses? What are the various views of going at verses 12 through 15? Uh, But we will stave that off for next week. And I'm going to ask that you, at least for our discussion and for our thinking on this topic, punt that to next week and the following weeks. And I promise you, we will give it as much time as it requires. In order to resolve whatever we can in those verses. But for this week, uh, verses 9 and 10, we will be looking at the issue of modesty um, and particularly what what is a biblical picture of modesty and dress. So we spoke last week briefly about the sample and plain uh, understanding of the text is that Paul is not giving instructions to men and women kind of as like two equal people in the same boat who all struggle with the same things, who have the same temptations. Uh, He he gives first instructions to men and then he pivots and gives instructions to women. Now, this is is something that's important for us to recognize because in our culture, men and women have been blurred to the point where there's not really a distinction anymore, where whatever a woman struggles with, a man can equally struggle with. And similarly, whatever a man struggles with, a woman could equally struggle with. Uh, That's just simply not true. Men have different kinds of things that they face in terms of temptation than women do. And so the instructions that Paul gave us uh, last week that we looked at, they're particularly aimed at men, right? He talks about lifting up holy hands in a way that does not cause anger or dispute. So men will have a temptation to quarrel, to self-promote or to be hypocritical in their worship in a way that women might not be tempted to in the guide of assembly. Uh, one way you can think about this is men, when they boast, they're gonna tend to boast in their activities and their actions and their accomplishments in a way that women will not be tempted to boast. But there are temptations that women will face, and those temptations will come out in the gathered assembly. And so Paul similarly warns women about their unique temptations and also how they ought to address those temptations and what is fitting of a godly woman who faces those kinds of, uh, those kinds of issues. So in verse 9, you'll notice the transitional word. Uh, in the ESV, it says likewise. So you could say similarly or also or just like my instruction to the men, it is also fitting that women should adorn themselves uh, in respectable apparel. Now, he's going to go on to define what that means, but uh, one way you can think about this, Paul's kind of setting up a parallel. Men are to pursue adornment with holy hands. Women are to pursue adornment with respectable apparel. And if you go to the kind of conclusion of his argument, with good works, that's the end of verse 10. Now he's going to carefully define for us, let's say, all of the ways that that plays itself out in culture. And there's there's a bunch of things that we have to unpack here because he's making references to various cultural features that are on the ground in uh, his context in 1 Timothy. So you'll notice that he says women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty, with self-control. And then he's going to go on to say something that seems a little strange uh, because we live in the West, not with braided hair or with gold or pearls or with costly attire. Now, it seems strange to us because, well, we don't associate braided hair or the wearing of jewelry or things like that with anything immodest. Why is he connecting this with immodesty? But if you were in the first century world, this would be essentially the equivalent to, to Paul saying, hey, when you show up to church, don't show up uh, in your underwear or in bikinis because, because that is immodest. Now, the, the reference here to with braided hair wearing gold or pearls or costly attire is these are not just general statements like don't dress nice. Those, all those things strung together are actually associated exclusively in the first century with uh, prostitutes. So he's saying don't wear, let's say, prostitution-heavy garb, okay? Now, we think braided hair. We don't think prostitute. That's not what we think about when we think about that, and it's because we live in the Western world. But Paul's instruction, his, let's say, timeless command— is modesty and with good works. This is what his instruction is. And specifically on the ground in the first century, that means when you're going to church, don't braid your hair, put gold in your hair, wrap pearls around yourself, because that sends a different kind of signal in the first century world. But what is a woman to do in the church? Verse 10, but with what is proper for a woman who would profess godliness. So he's not just saying for all women in the first century, they must do this. He's saying, particularly for Christian women, who profess Christ, who follow after him, who long to be associated with him and with proper conduct and activity, just like the men are supposed to have holy hands lifted up, what are the women supposed to do? They are supposed to live in a way that is in keeping with their profession of faith, meaning not only in the gathered assembly, but we might say also a timeless uh, kind of ripple effect into their lives and into their activities in the world. Uh, With the men, we said particularly, this is talking about how they should gather in corporate worship, but that does not mean to the exclusion of what they, what they should do when they leave the gathered assembly. A man could not rightly lift up holy hands in prayer to the church if they have lived a, a seedy life for the, for the rest of their week, doing shady business dealings and, and causing quarreling and strife among their congregation and within their members. Similarly, a woman must have a respectable apparel adorned upon herself. And yes, that's particularly true in the gathering of the church, but that does not mean to the exclusion of the worship that you do in your daily life outside of the church as you engage in the world, as you engage in relationship, as you engage in culture shaping. So for Christian women, your, your life, similar to Christian men, must be in keeping with your profession of faith, namely that you are a follower of Christ, and ultimately that you are to honor him in everything that you do. Now you might say, well, that's not a particularly new instruction, and you're right, it's not. Scripture is filled with this kind of instruction. That men should live in a way that glorifies God in their life. Women should live their lives in a way that also glorifies God. You see then the equality and the dignity that Paul gives to women. He does not say, women, it doesn't matter what you do. You're not really important in this conversation. It really only matters what the men do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, actually, women are message bearers, ambassadors for the gospel in how they live and how they conduct themselves and how they engage with the world in the same kind of way that men are ambassadors for the gospel in how they work and how they interact and in how they conduct themselves. So, but that's, not to the, but that's not to flatline men and women to say that they're going to face the same temptations, right? Men have to lift up holy hands. Women have to lift up holy dress. They have to adorn themselves in a way that is respectable and speaking in truth with their total profession. And he concludes this all, let's say, the, the proper adornment for women is good works. Now, if you'll flip with me for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 3, you'll see a very similar kind of instruction given. This is found in... 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. And I'll read the the whole section starting in verse 1 because it's a similar series of instructions. In this case, in the context not of men and women in the gathered assembly, but in the case of husbands and wives. But you'll hear hear the similar instruction. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 3 says, Likewise, uh, meaning in the same way that the husbands, right? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if Some do not obey the word. That means the husbands don't obey the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. You see how the activity matters in the life. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not then let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which, which is, in God's sight, very precious. So this is the instruction, in this case given to wives, but you see the similarity of the instruction. Women conduct themselves in the world and preach the gospel in a way different from how men preach the gospel in their conduct in the world, because men and women are different in how they engage in culture, engage in relationship, and engage in the world around them. So for women, the instruction here is specific uh, because women are different from men. Okay, that's very important for us to get, especially in the Western world where we think that men and women just kind of blur uh, across the spectrum. So men have to have holy hands, meaning how they act in the world in their business dealings has to be honoring to God. Women have to have holy dress, meaning they're going to be tempted in a different way than men are. And just as the men are called to honor God in their worship, uh, women are called to honor God in how they conduct themselves in all of their activity in the world. Uh, the way Calvin says it is that the temptation of women uh, is a particular one which is a temptation to show off, to impress, and ultimately to be noticed from afar. It's a different kind of thing than how men are tempted. Men are tempted to be respected, to be seen from afar in their actions and activities are respectable. Women are tempted in a different way to be noticed and and seen as beautiful and lovely from afar. Now if you want a modern example of that uh, you can just log on to Instagram or any kind of social media platform And you can notice the way that men and women will exploit those platforms differently for their own gain. Men will take pictures in front of expensive cars, in front of expensive houses, boasting about their accomplishments for the month or how much money they've made. Women will boast in a different kind of way to gain a following and to gain influence. So we still observe this today in our culture. Now, that does not mean that there aren't men out there who try to exploit those same kinds of things, but that just says we live in a confused world, not in a a world that is where men and women have the same kinds of temptations. So in, in the today's world, in the church, women are still supposed to honor Christ in their full activity, in their conduct, exactly as the men are called to. But it requires a different kind of activity, a different kind of restraint as they engage in the world. Ultimately, ultimately in this text, it does not mean that we have to get really specific on exactly what you can and can't wear. So To do so, actually, is to miss the point of what Paul is instructing because the timeless instruction from Paul is not what you wear, the timeless instruction from Paul is godliness and adornment in profession with your faith. That's the timeless instruction. Specifically in the first century, that means don't braid your hair. But women, today, you are free to braid your hair because those same cultural contexts don't apply 2,000 years later. But that does not mean we dispel the command entirely, throw it away, and say, well, Paul is just on some rabbit trail about something that we should ignore. Ultimately, there are ways in which we can look today at our world and ask the question, how can women live with modesty and with respect in keeping with these commands? In your dress, when you gather for the worship assembly, in your actions and your activities, do not seek to draw attention to yourself. In the same way that men will be tempted to draw attention to themselves with their boasting about what they've done in their life or what they've accomplished in their week, women will be tempted in a different way to draw attention to themselves. In all these things, you are to exercise restraint and what we would just say as modesty, both in your dress and in your speech, so that you do not become the center of attention in the gathered assembly of the saints who are there to worship Christ. But, but we, we do not need to go so specific and say, well, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't wear this, you can wear that. In many senses, in these things, you know it when you see it. Uh, similarly to the men who have to lift up holy hands uh, and should not boast and cause strife, and you go, well when is a man causing strife and when is a man just simply rebuking where where rebuking needs to happen wisdom will often tell you if this person is causing needless strife or if they are actually engaging in good rebuke of a brother similarly for the women wisdom will often tell you when modesty is actively being engaged in or whether this has slipped into the realm of immodesty whereas men will desire the kind of attention that they get from boasting about what they've done women are going to desire the kind of attention which is often conflated with beauty. Now this is uh, one thing that I want to focus on in kind of closing in these things. Our modern world is, is often very confused about definitions of terms. And I'll give you an example from the men, uh, and then an example from the women. Men often conflate what it means to be successful with what the world defines successful to be. Namely, a lot of money, a lot of cars, a lot of stuff, and a lot of women. <laughs> And this is what the world projects as a successful man. Now, Scripture defines success and says men should pursue success, but it defines it in a totally different way. Where where men are successful in Scripture, they're actually fading into the background and not being the center of attention. They're actually just moving mountains for the glory of God. That's the point of a Christian man. And it's actually the same for a Christian woman. Success for a Christian woman, uh, let's say the achievement of true beauty, is not the kind of beauty that the world has to engage in or actually enjoy uh, that's actually what we would call immodesty or uh well it really just plays on the lust of the world and in our world we we struggle to distinguish between what's beautiful and what is sensual and sensuality is not the same thing as beauty but our culture will tell you it will show you something sensual and it will say look at this is beautiful this is what beauty looks like But as Peter says, actually, beauty is actually more carefully defined as an internal action, pattern, activity, heart than it is external. Beauty is actually, it cannot be external because then beauty cannot be something that is actually achievable after the age of, let's say, 35. Because everyone in this body, in this world, is going to face decay of their life. So we live in a world that has not been properly defining terms for us. Either for the men, what success is to look like, and for women, what beauty is to look like. And so we need to, let's say, recalibrate ourselves, as we always do, with the Word of God. Which here, Paul says, so what does is, what is beauty look like? What does modesty look like for women? It actually is in their activity, their good works. Now, this is where he kind of puts the thrust of his argument, uh, to at least as he closes this verse out. What is proper for a woman who professes godliness is actually... Not not ultimately a kind of dress, but a kind of activity, a kind of action as they engage in the world. Uh, Some translations will render this differently. Uh, Good works is good enough. Um, The idea is simply that conduct really does matter for a Christian woman. In the same way that for a Christian man their conduct matters, for a Christian woman it also matters, but differently. Whereas a Christian man will seek to abuse their success in the world, uh, this is where their conduct will become inappropriate. Uh, Christian women's conduct becomes inappropriate when they seek to use that as a means of gain for themselves, to bring attention to themselves. And if you take a step back and you ask the question, well, the ultimate goal of what Paul is getting at here, what's his point? What's his thrust? His thrust is essentially, how do you actively live in the church, in the household of God? And in part, he's speaking to men and women differently because, well, they need to adopt and understand their roles in order for the household to function. Uh, In the same way that a husband, when he comes home from work, needs to know his role, and a wife, uh, when she's engaging with her children, needs to know her role, and these things can't be conflated or really neglected either, Uh, it's similar here in the church, where men need to know how they are to engage with their sisters in Christ and with one another in a way that is honorable and respectable. So too, women should know how they ought to engage with their sisters and with their brothers in Christ in a way that is honorable and respectable. And those instructions happen to be different for the purpose of the same end, which is A household that functions, or we could say a church that functions, or a church that is effective in its mission to the world. And at the end of the day, think about what this would do to the world. If the world sees a church functioning in this kind of way, with this kind of activity being engaged in and embraced, where women are embracing adornment in a godly sense, they're embracing this good work out into the world, think about what that will say to a watching world where Well, Christian women don't feel the stress that other women feel to draw attention to themselves. They don't feel that kind of baggage because they they find their identity and their beauty elsewhere. It's actually rather beautiful. It's actually rather good news and it's actually something that will draw the world to the church to see what's going on and what's different about this thing. The world is different from the church and the church should be different from the world and one of the ways that it can actively, especially in today's culture, engage and exploit that difference, the church can, is simply by men being men and women being women and allow the world to observe what that actually looks like played out on the ground. Because we live in a world where those lines have so been blurred, where those, where those activities have so been meshed together that the world doesn't actually know what it wants or what it should have or what is good. And so it prescribes all kinds of things. And the church has a true prescription from God about how its conduct ought to be observed. And so we should embrace that wholly, not only not only for the sake of good worship and a healthy church, but ultimately actually as an apologetic as we engage in the world. Because when we do this well, when the church walks us out well, it actually is a kind of testimony to the world around us about what good creation looks like played out tangibly on the ground. Now the church will not do this perfectly, it's part of the reason we need forgiveness, but this is what we would say the gold standard to strive for, the instruction which is given, and with the the grace of Christ to help us when we falter in these things, so that we might as a church and as a body and as individual believers strive to the command which is given to us, men to lift up holy hands, women to lift up holy dress, so that the world might know the glory of Christ. With that, let me close and then we can get into discussion. Our Father, we praise you for this time tonight, for your word which is so true, and for your word which still speaks today. Lord, we thank you that you have been pleased to allow us to understand and to to see your commands. And Lord, we thank you for the grace which you have given to us to even think along with you and to engage here tonight. Lord, we pray that as we move into our time of discussion, as we hash these things out, as we pray throughout the week and engage uh, in the world around us, that we, should, we would do so in a way in keeping with your word, in keeping with your instructions, uh, that we would be the kind of church that is molded and shaped and known by its obedience to your word in these areas. We pray this in your name. Amen.